welcome to my mommy's podcast. This episode is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals, superfood products from the hive that help support your family's best health. Right now, their propolis has been a lifesaver with all of the sniffles and coughs that are going around where we live. If you're not familiar with it, propolis is a resinous mixture that bees make in the hive. It contains over 300 compounds that we've identified, including polyphenols and compounds that are antibacterial, including one called pinocembrin, which I hope I'm saying right, which acts as an antifungal. Some studies have shown that propolis can speed the healing of wounds. It's naturally antibacterial and antifungal properties make it great for fighting the sniffles. And the way I use it, at the first sign of any sniffles, sore throat, or coughing at our house, I spray propolis in the throat, and it almost always helps us bounce back really quickly. I also always use propolis spray in my mouth before flying to avoid picking up anything on the plane. I also have unfortunately learned from experience that it works great on burns and cuts for healing. As a listener of this podcast, you can save 15% on propolis and all Beekeepers Naturals products by going to beekeepersnaturals.com forward slash wellnessmama and using the code wellnessmama, all one word, all lowercase. So again, that's Beekeepers Naturals, B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S dot com forward slash wellnessmama and the code wellnessmama to save 15%. This podcast is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, my source for superfood mushrooms. Four Sigmatic makes delicious mushroom infused coffees, teas and elixirs that I use every single day. From their lower caffeine coffee and coffee packets infused with lion's mane that I drink every morning to chaga and cordyceps elixirs for focus while I work and reishi to wind down at night. These products are a regular part of my routine. And here's a tip. I have found that for the best sleep, a packet of reishi with a splash of macadamia milk and a tiny sprinkle of salt and a drop of stevia helps me get more measurable deep sleep. I have seen this consistently and measurably in multiple types of sleep tracking. And as a listener of this podcast, you can save 15% on all Four Sigmatic products by going to foursigmatic.com forward slash wellnessmama and using the code wellnessmama. So again, that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash wellnessmama, all one word, and make sure to use the code wellnessmama to save 15%. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and this episode is everything you need to know about the ketogenic diet and everything that goes with it, including if it is safe for women or not, its practical applications, how to know if you're doing it correctly, and what the emerging research says about it. I am here with one of the top experts in the world whose research I have followed for a very long time, and it was an honor to talk to him. Dr. Dominic Diagostino is a professor in the Department of Molecular Pharmacology and Physiology at the University of South Florida and a research scientist at the Institute for Human and Machine Cognition, the IHMC. His laboratory develops and tests metabolic-based strategies for neurological disorders, cancer, and for enhancing safety and resilience of military personnel in extreme environments. He was both a researcher and a participant in NASA's NEMO project, and his research is supported by the Office of Naval Research, the Department of Defense, private organizations and foundations, and many of us in the health community who value what he does. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit in the episode, but he also very much walks the walk when it comes to health. In fact, he broke the world record for the most weight squatted in a 24-hour period, and he has also deadlifted 500 pounds 
on day seven of a fast. So he is both academically and physically uh, an incredible human being, and it is an honor to join him today. So without further ado, let's jump in with Dr. Diagostino. Dom, I'm so excited to chat with you. If what I have read online researching you is true, you broke the world record for the most weight squatted in a 24-hour period. And you've also lifted over 500 pounds at one time after fasting for a week, which is astounding to me because I have done some long fast as much as 10 days, uh, but I definitely was not doing any kind of workout, especially toward the end of those. So that's absolutely mind-blowing to me. You obviously walk the walk when it comes to health, but you also are well-known for your research, especially in the area of the ketogenic diet and a lot of other topics that stem from that. So I want to go deep on that today because I get a lot of questions related to the keto diet and specifically who should do it and how it should be done. And I know that you are well-versed in what the research actually says. So to start broad and then narrow down, what are some of the emerging applications of the ketogenic diet that you are finding in your research? Yeah, so the, the ketogenic diet started as a medical therapy for epilepsy 100 years ago. And a lot of, a lot of people don't know that. But over the last decade, the use of dietary ketosis has been applied to a wide range of disorders. And that includes uh, a number of neurological disorders, uh, metabolic disorders, and even, you know, psychological disorders too. In our lab, we study a broad range of things. I would say half of what we do is cancer research. And we do that at the Moffitt Cancer Institute. It's a very large cancer treatment center near the University of South Florida. It's its own separate entity. But I would say that's in, in our lab, that's probably one of the, the biggest emerging applications and probably more controversial applications of uh, nutritional ketosis is this idea of using food as medicine uh, to treat something as serious uh, and as complex as cancer. And when I got into this field, there was maybe two clinical trials on clinicaltrials.gov registered clinical trials. And now there's about 38 or 39 clinical trials, I think the last I checked, using the ketogenic diet as a therapy for cancer treatment, uh, in most cases as an adjuvant to further enhance or augment different different forms of, of therapy. Uh, and in some cases, when the standard of care has failed, the ketogenic diet is used. So we've studied in the past Alzheimer's disease and different animal models of, of Alzheimer's disease. And the biggest project we actually have going on in the lab is developing a ketogenic strategy for dietary ketosis or supplemental ketosis to delay oxygen toxicity seizures, which limits the Navy SEAL operations because they use a closed circuit rebreathing uh, device in their covert operations. So what we do is with the various technologies we have in the lab, we can simulate what uh, a Navy SEAL will experience under certain conditions. And then we test everything, you know, from the perspective of a cell to tissues. We use various animal models and we have human clinical trials at Duke University right now where we dive subjects inside conditions and push them to the edge of the seizure in and out of ketosis. 
So that's kind of like the main projects we have going. We have like a lot of little pet projects on the side, like targeting glucose control, which has implications for type 2 diabetes, which I think is a, a very big emerging application of, of dietary ketosis. That is so fascinating. Uh, before we go any further, I'd love to have you define specifically what is the ketogenic diet, as I know there seem to be thousands of different definitions floating around online and recipes with all kinds of different macros. So what actually is the scientific definition or what definition are we using in this podcast for the ketogenic diet? Yeah, I think that's part of the problem too, is that nutritional ketosis is a term used by people marketing different (laughs) books to uh, food supplements to, you know, bars, which are essentially candy bars. The ketogenic diet is the only diet, to my knowledge, that's defined specifically by an elevation of a biomarker that we can that we can actually measure with commercially available technology. And you can buy a blood ketone meter at a CVS or Walgreens, or you can go on Amazon and buy one. You can get it at Walmart. These devices will typically measure blood glucose and also measure uh, the ketone body beta-hydroxybutyrate. So if you decide to do a ketogenic diet or medical management of, you know, whether it be epilepsy, which was the original application, or weight loss, which is a really popular application of the ketogenic diet, or type 2 diabetes, which has actually over the last five years been very well documented, uh, you can go to uh, a drugstore or online and buy a blood ketone meter and implement, start a ketogenic diet. There are many different, there are tons of resources online that did not exist at all when I was first started studying this over a decade ago. And they tell you there's recipes on how to, you know, develop, you know, put together meals for a ketogenic diet. So you can start the ketogenic diet and monitor your blood ketone levels uh, and that can guide you on how to best plan your meals and construct your meals with the different types of foods and ratios of fat to protein to carbohydrates. And it's really that macronutrient ratio that defines the ketogenic diet. We know if, if we eat a certain ratio of fat to protein to carbohydrates, the fat level has to be between 90 to 65% fat. And protein levels typically range from between 20, uh, between 10 to 25 or 30 uh, percent, with carbohydrates being restricted 10 percent or below of non-starch, non-sugar, fibrous carbohydrates that are essentially have a very low glycemic index. When a diet is constructed in this way, it will produce some degree of ketosis depending on the individual and depending on how how those ratios are calculated. Uh, Okay, that that makes sense. So some of the versions of the ketogenic diet can be considered unhealthy. Are there things we can do to watch out or guard against that when we're doing a keto diet? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of ready-made ketogenic meals on the market. Uh, There's a lot of recipes out there that claim to be ketogenic. And they may be low in carbohydrates, but they deviate from what you know, what I would call a clinical ketogenic diet. And to get the full benefits of dietary ketosis, an individual typically has to elevate their blood ketone levels uh, within a range that's 
characteristic of being in dietary ketosis. And there's a little bit of confusion. And I think people are using the term ketogenic diet, and they're really just marketing a low carbohydrate diet, which actually has a lot of benefits in regards to controlling your blood glucose, perhaps weight loss, it has an appetite suppressing effect. Many people believe that a high protein diet is a is a ketogenic diet. And that's really not the case because if you eat too much protein, the protein can convert to glucose and that that and it can also stimulate the hormone insulin. And this can push you out of the state of ketosis. It will basically prevent you from making ketone bodies, which we know are beneficial uh, for our brain and our heart and a number of other organs. And it's that level of ketones, which is indicative of the suppressing of the hormone insulin. And once you stabilize and lower the hormone insulin, that puts your body into a fat burning mode. And it's the excess burning of fat that actually contributes to elevated ketones. So your ketones are actually like sort of a surrogate marker, a, a marker that can predict how much body fat you're burning. And I think that's from a, a general perspective, a lot of people are interested in the ketogenic diet for weight loss. So I think dietary ketosis, monitoring that is a very effective tool to basically inform the person uh, how efficiently they are burning fat for energy and their own body fat. And as they restrict overall calories, they will be liberating you know, their own body fat but also it's a combination of the dietary fat because you're eating more fat too, right? So that, that fat is making ketones. But when you restrict total calories, which it's easier to do on a ketogenic diet, and that's a big advantage of, of it because of the appetite suppressing effect, then you're really tapping into your own fat stores too. That makes sense. Got it. Is there an ideal range for ketones in something like weight loss? And is that different, for instance, in the ketone range you would want to target for something like fighting cancer? Yeah, that's a good question. And we don't know really the, all the answers, but generally speaking, if your blood ketones are between, from feedback that I get, anywhere between uh, like 0.8, if you're, if you're above 0.5 millimolar, and that's little m, big M, it's also represented as MMOL uh, over uh, liters, millimole per liter. And that's the units that you're measuring typically in these devices. If you're above 0.5, you're clinically in a state of ketosis. And it would be difficult, very difficult to achieve that eating a standard diet, if not impossible. And you typically have to fast, you know, within about 18 to 24 hours to, to get your ketones into that level. So if you can formulate a diet where you're in a state of ketosis 0.5 to typically 3 or 4 millimolar max, my belief is that that's kind of like the optimal level. For me, if I stay between 1 and 2 millimolar ketones, I feel like I have the most energy, the most mental clarity, my inflammation is lowest, and uh, if my ketones get a little bit higher, I typically have to do things that I have to have, I have to follow a diet that's more restricted in carbohydrates. And I feel better having a little bit of carbohydrates in my diet from things like a little bit of berries, vegetables, you know, I have a little bit of dark chocolate every day, you know, so you can have these things on the ketogenic diet, 
the more carbohydrates you put in, it can knock you out. But the more you experiment with the diet, the more you begin to realize like how much you can add in. And I think there are a lot of benefits to some of these, you know, plant derived foods. And I like to incorporate some of them into the diet and some ketogenic diets eliminate that completely. And I am not, I know the carnivore diet has been a big thing. And a lot of people are advocates of that. And I'm not fully convinced that that diet really is superior to a well-formulated ketogenic diet, which would have vegetables. People, a lot of people with autoimmune disorders, you know, whether it be, you know, skin disorders or things like Hashimoto's disease or other things have emailed me and basically said that a ketogenic diet that's devoid of plants, that's more of a keto carnivore diet, uh, has been the only thing that has worked to cure their autoimmune disorder. So I think, think there's some people need to look into this and it's just not studied enough. There's a group in Hungary called Paleomedicina and they have treated like thousands of patients with autoimmune disorders and, and everything from epilepsy to cancer with a paleolithic ketogenic diet. And we recently visited Hungary and, uh, and saw some of the patient records. And, and I have to admit that you know, a paleolithic ketogenic diet, which is basically just all animal products and no vegetables at all, seems to be very effective for certain autoimmune disorders. But from my perspective, I'm still not completely sold on it for like the person who just wants to implement a ketogenic diet as a lifestyle. I think incorporating more of a well-formulated, balanced ketogenic diet that has vegetables and maybe other fruits into it would be ideal. At least I feel it is for me. So what does that look like? Based on your experience and your research, what would you consider the best version of the keto diet? And can it be done with low saturated fat? That's a, a personal and a somewhat selfish question. Um, but I ask because I have the, one of the APOE genes. So I'm very cautious with consuming saturated fat. And I tend to very much lean in favor of monounsaturated fats as much as possible. So first part of the question, what does an optimal keto diet look like? And can you do it without the saturated fat? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question and one I get quite often. Yes, you, you can definitely do uh, a ketogenic diet that's low in saturated fat. So what you want to do in that case is really get more monounsaturated fat. And one way to do that is to probably limit dairy because the biggest contributor to saturated fat in a ketogenic diet is dairy. You know, the early ketogenic diets developed by the Mayo Clinic and Johns Hopkins were almost a dairy-based ketogenic diet because it made it palatable for kids. They were able to get in the calories required for growth. But a ketogenic diet that's lower in saturated fat would include things like eggs. You know, eggs, the fat in eggs is mostly oleic acid. Uh, so that's more of a monounsaturated fat. So you have, you know, eggs and fish and nuts and nut butters, uh, olive oil, of course. And then you want to have, you know, if you have APOE4 and you're right, the saturated fat is something you may, you know, be concerned about. It does contribute to factors that could, you know, negatively influence your, your outcome. But, you know, the, the science is kind of unclear. So shifting from more of a, a dairy-based ketogenic diet to fish, eggs, and I'm, 
I'm kind of of the opinion that steak is also okay, although it does have saturated fat, but, you know, steak that's from grass-fed animals, pork and poultry would probably be okay too. But from my perspective, and I, I did follow a dairy-based ketogenic diet when I started this like 12 years ago, and some of my mark- markers got really high, different fractions of LDL, and, and I, I got a little bit concerned, and I did kind of minimize the dairy to a certain level. I still have it in, and I do have dairy every day, but I significantly decreased it and filled the gap. Uh, the caloric gap from fat, mostly derived from monounsaturated fats, and, and that made a big difference. So uh, typically, like today, for example, I skipped, uh, I don't always do this, but I skipped breakfast and had my first meal around noon, which was salmon. And uh, I had, I tested uh, various products people send me uh, were cookies that were made from almond flour and uh and they were lightly sweetened and that was like my first meal and that's kind of all i've I've eaten today and then tonight we're having grass-fed beef by a company called butcher box that only sells like grass-fed beef it's a service that we subscribe to Uh, they have excellent selection of meats and typically a salad and you know cauliflower mash or or broccoli or something like that you know we usually have some kind of beef uh, fish and, and vegetable uh, for dinner and always pretty much always have a salad with liberal amounts of fat. Got it. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of opinion on this as well. Uh, but what about the need for the occasional carb refeed? Or, you know, there's a lot of theories on this, but if people should eat carbs once in a while to keep the body from adapting to not having any carbs, is that problematic? Um, is this something that you do? Do you eat carbs occasionally? And what does the research say on this? Yeah, I think people really need to experiment with what diet works best. And, you know, I'm an advocate of the of the ketogenic diet or nutritional ketosis, because that could also mean supplemental ketosis for a wide range of things. And if for cultural reasons and and people have different different metabolisms and different body types, we're like you know, everybody's like an individual metabolic entity. And various food choices associated with a ketogenic diet, they might not be able to tolerate. You know, I've met people who just cannot tolerate the fat content associated with a ketogenic diet. But for me personally, I tend to feel best and I do my best work, whether that be writing or just, you know, cognitive tasks. And even physically, I, I tend to feel better in some state, some degree of ketosis and not I don't follow the level of a medical ketogenic diet, which is like 90, anywhere between like 80 to 90% fat, but I'm typically somewhere around 60% fat. And just as an example, yesterday, I probably had a little more carbohydrates than normal. Uh, We have fruit trees on our property. So I had a a grapefruit at night and uh, I had some blueberries and, you know, a pretty big salad and some stir fry vegetables to and like one or two pieces of dark chocolate. So my carbohydrate for the day yesterday was probably about 100 grams of carbs. And probably about a third of that was fiber. And I was still in a state of mild ketosis because I was fairly active like throughout the day. And now that may not be the case for everybody. And I know some kids that follow the ketogenic diet for epilepsy or other things, the amount of carbohydrate they, they could have is maybe like one strawberry throughout the entire day. <laughs> you know, strawberries are very high in fiber. 
they have like a you know a minimal glycemic response. But I'm in contact with many different parents. You know, I've seen you know hundreds, if not thousands, of dietary plans, and and I've seen the blood levels of, of different people from kids to adults. And I have to say that there's a lot of variability. And I've I've also conversed with some elite level Olympic athletes who follow nutritional ketosis and they can stand in acidic ketosis eating about 200 to 250 grams of carbohydrates a day, <laughs> but they're also exercising like four to six hours a day. So, and, and they're probably at a caloric deficit too. So you have a lot of extremes in this and it really comes down to food preferences. So figure out what kind of, of foods you like and incorporate more of those foods and that could be you know typically most people like fish and chicken and beef and pork things like that and eggs and if you are baking you can use different types of flours that are on the market now uh some of them are nut flours uh, and you can make muffins and cakes and we make pancakes in our house occasionally uh, so you can have the comfort foods too and there are a lot of entrepreneurs scrambling to really uh, enter this space and they're developing everything from low-carb ketogenic brownies to cookies to hamburger buns to barbecue sauce. I mean, there's so many different products. We hosted the Metabolic Health Summit just like a few weeks ago. And there, the amount of stakeholders in this space is growing like exponentially. And that's in academia. You know, to clinical medicine, to industry, to media, to just general public. So this space is growing quite rapidly. And a lot of these companies are developing products that are really serving the community that I'm networked in. And that includes the epilepsy community, which is like the guy, you know, is a very good track record for, and a number of these other emerging applications, type 2 diabetes being, being one of them. And there's a lot of different you know, not one ketogenic diet, it's not a one size fits all. So when you read a study about a ketogenic diet produced a positive effect or a negative effect or no effect, most importantly, it's the most important thing is to figure out what kind of ketogenic diet the study used. I mean, there's an infinite amount of ketogenic diets. The early ketogenic diets were heavily based on hydrogenated fats, believe it or not, or even Crisco. And we've just, we know a lot more about nutrition now. And I, I believe there's ways to formulate a ketogenic diet that could be healthy for everybody. But it may not be for everybody, depending on your, your dietary preferences, I would say. Okay. So what about exogenous ketones? Uh, this is something I, as of right now, have not personally experimented with, although I actually have some on their way to me right now. And I'm really curious about this. I know you have done research on this and even with um, Navy SEALs and using it for very specific purposes to protect their health. So start off explaining kind of what exogenous ketones are and what their role is in a keto diet. And for someone like me who has never experimented with them before, uh, what do I need to know before I jump in and start using it? Yeah, that's maybe what I'm kind of known for because when I first started studying the ketogenic diet, my goal was to use the ketogenic diet for oxygen-toxicity seizures, which are sort of a military problem. The program officer in the military at the time did not like the idea of putting someone on a high-fat ketogenic diet. It was too restrictive, and they knew you know, people just wouldn't do it. So they asked me to develop 
kind of a ketogenic diet in a pill. So many years ago, you know, I started you know, developing different strategies. And one of the strategies would be uh, a ketone ester and the development of ketone mineral salts, which is basically taking a ketone body that your body makes naturally, like a bioidentical molecule, and then combining that with an electrolyte like sodium, potassium, or magnesium. And then you can actually make these things in a laboratory and develop a powder out of it. And then you can consume this orally in a shake or a drink, and it can elevate your ketone levels. Beta hydroxybutyrate is what we measure with the meter. And then that is clinically the state of nutritional or what we call therapeutic ketosis. So it's elevating an energy molecule in the blood that kind of has a superior energetic value. Like it, you, your body can make more ATP, which is the energy currency that our cells use. It can make that ATP more efficiently with ketones. And we also know that these ketone bodies have uh, hormone-like effects and they're signaling molecules that can influence certain pathways, for example, inflammation. They can suppress the levels of inflammation kind of in the body. So there are many different types of exogenous ketones on the market. We test them, but you know we do not sell them. I think some people out there market things like my supplement. So I don't, just for the record, I do not have any ketone supplements myself. Uh, we do develop various patents and certain companies have gotten those patents. I do like to test the ketone products that are on the market. If I know they're safe and from a reputable company. And then some of those products I put on the website, ketonutrition.org, just to direct people to reputable companies that are making ketone supplement products that that at least have a very good certificate of analysis that are clean products and that will actually elevate your ketone levels more or less. So the benefits of these supplements are that when you consume them, they can give your body energy. And I view them as just a ketogenic food. They're con calorie containing food supplements that when you consume them with a ketogenic diet, they can further elevate your ketones and probably further augment the therapeutic efficacy of the ketogenic diet. Now, there are some situations where someone is unwilling or unable to follow a ketogenic diet. For example, some of the disorders that we study in the lab, you know, uh, kids with different disorders like Angelman syndrome or autism or Kabuki syndrome is another thing. And I don't have to get into explaining, you know, these disorders, but the kids who have some of these uh, disorders, it, it's difficult to, for them to follow certain types of diets. So a ketone supplement that is formulated and the flavoring agents can make it to taste good can offer uh, a lot of benefit to kids with these disorders. And you want to target disorders where the ketogenic diet has already shown to be efficacious where there's clinical trials and published studies to show, for example, that a ketogenic diet can treat glucose transporter deficiency syndrome, you know, which is something that we study. So many kids, they find it hard to follow that diet. So a supplement which elevates ketones, which is a therapeutic molecule that can help individuals who have glucose transporter deficiency, that supplement really may be 
uh, almost, I, I'm not going to say the magic bullet, but it can be the, the therapeutic thing that, that can help to manage that particular metabolic disorder. And that's where we really try to direct a lot of our energy and time and effort into not only working on military applications of these ketone supplements, but, but using that, that science to, uh, to really develop things that could be used in the clinical field too. And we have uh, a study, there's an ongoing study at Vanderbilt University that uses ketone supplementation for Angelman syndrome, which is a rare genetic disorder that just happens to be responsive to the ketogenic diet. So there's an ongoing study right now in kids with Angelman syndrome that's using ketone supplements. That's fascinating. And speaking of, of electrolytes, uh, is this something that we need to be aware of and supplement with on a keto diet long term? I know that there are some sources that say that you're at risk for, or you not at risk, but you need more electrolytes if you eat low carb or especially if you eat keto. Um, so do we need more electrolytes if we're in a state of ketosis? And are there other supplements that we need to know about as well? Yeah, that's a good point because the, when you're in a state of nutritional ketosis, just by adjusting the macronutrient ratios, we know that you're suppressing the hormone insulin. And when you do that, you tend to excrete more water and more uh, electrolytes with that, including sodium and maybe potassium and magnesium. So you, you tend to maybe get a little bit dehydrated in the beginning. And at the same time, a lot of people go through what they call the keto flu. And the keto flu is feeling a little bit of a headache, you might be a little bit lethargic and you just don't feel great. That could be dehydration and uh, what the, what we call hyponatremia, which is low sodium. So it's actually really important to, to stay well hydrated and actually make sure you're getting in enough sodium, which there's initial sodium loss, especially the first two or three weeks. You don't necessarily have to, you know, go buy electrolyte supplements. They may help some people, but... What I tell people is to have like a good quality bone broth or make your own bone broth. You might want to liberally salt your food, you know, whether that be a salad or meat that you're cooking. And that should be more than enough. But make sure the diet tends to suppress your appetite and also your thirst. So you want to make sure that even if you're not thirsty, that you're consuming enough water, especially during the initial two to three weeks of the diet, because you're probably going to be a little bit dehydrated and you might get some cramps and feel a little bit lethargic. So it's extra important to get, you know, water and electrolytes during that first few weeks. Gotcha. This episode is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals, superfood products from the hive that help support your family's best health. Right now, their propolis has been a lifesaver with all of the sniffles and coughs that are going around where we live. If you're not familiar with it, Propolis is a resinous mixture that bees make in the hive. It contains over 300 compounds that we've identified, including polyphenols and compounds that are antibacterial, including one called pinocembrin, which I hope I'm saying right, which acts as an antifungal. Some studies have shown that propolis can speed the healing of wounds. It's naturally antibacterial and antifungal properties make it great for fighting the sniffles. And the way I use it, at the first sign of any sniffles, sore throat, or coughing at our house, I spray propolis in the throat, and it almost always helps us bounce back really quickly. I also always use propolis 
spray in my mouth before flying to avoid picking up anything on the plane. I also have unfortunately learned from experience that it works great on burns and cuts for healing. As a listener of this podcast, you can save 15% on Propolis and all Beekeepers Naturals products by going to beekeepersnaturals.com forward slash wellness mama and using the code wellness mama, all one word, all lowercase. So again, that's Beekeepers Naturals, B E E K E E P E R S N A T U R A L S dot com forward slash wellness mama and the code wellness mama to save 15%. This podcast is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, my source for superfood mushrooms. Four Sigmatic makes delicious mushroom-infused coffees, teas, and elixirs that I use every single day. From their lower caffeine coffee and coffee packets infused with lion's mane that I drink every morning, to chaga and cordyceps elixirs for focus while I work, and reishi to wind down at night. These products are a regular part of my routine. And here's a tip. I have found that for the best sleep, a packet of reishi with a splash of macadamia milk and a tiny sprinkle of salt and a drop of stevia helps me get more measurable deep sleep. I have seen this consistently and measurably in multiple types of sleep tracking. And as a listener of this podcast, you can save 15% on all Four Sigmatic products by going to foursigmatic.com forward slash wellness mama and using the code wellness mama. So again, that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash wellness mama, all one word, and make sure to use the code wellness mama to save 15%. Okay. And now for a somewhat controversial question. There are a lot of opinions about whether or not women should do a ketogenic diet at all. And if so, if we can modify it in certain ways uh, based on our hormones. I know that personally, I feel like I do fine with a keto diet, especially if I cycle it and I'm not just super, super low carb at all times, but I also obsessively lab test and I'm constantly monitoring a lot of my different markers. So I know that I handle it well and that I'm not messing up my hormones because I am watching that. But I also do really well with fasting and a lot of women don't do well with fasting. Uh, Obviously, there's a very personalized aspect to this as there is to any part of health. But based on anything you're seeing in the research, do you think that the keto diet is effective and or safe for women? Yeah, I can't make that recommendation. I'll, I'll give you my opinion. So you may have trained your metabolism to be, and I think what I've observed is that you know, there are women who simply initially they cannot fast at all. They get lightheaded. And I mean, we've had individuals like almost faint in the lab, if not, you know, faint and just like can't stand up, you know, after, after fasting women, their physiology is very responsive (laughs) to, to changes and they could have, you know, orthostatic hypotension. They could have you know, changes in just their brain energy levels. The female physiology, my opinion, is that it's much more reactive to low levels of glucose and insulin. So if your glucose gets low, uh, that may have sort of a greater exaggerated response than a female compared to a male. Uh, Males maybe tolerate fasting a little bit better. I don't know if it's a male thing to just kind of power through it. But I definitely feel that there are physiological differences between females and males that make it harder for females to become 
robustly fat adapted. And one way to train your metabolism to be more fat adapted or keto adapted is to do things like intermittent fasting uh, and then transition more gradually to eating low carbs. And, uh, and over time, I feel like you could train your metabolism. But many women just tend to feel better adding some form of carbohydrates to the diet. And I would say I'm of the opinion that oh, like a lower carb diet, it would just be much healthier long term than a high carb diet. So in, in women who just cannot do the ketogenic diet for any reason, I would advocate for them to at least do a lower carb diet or a lower glycemic index, you know, low glycemic index diet, and then capping carbs at like one gram per pound, you know, or less, uh, if they really want to get metabolic benefits. But I think people, I, I'm a big believer in self-experimentation. So I think people need to try the diet and see if it's for them. And to honestly try a ketogenic diet, you have to stick with it for really six to eight weeks. A lot of people don't <laughs> want to hear that. But you really have to honestly stick with it for six to eight weeks and measure your ketones to validate that you're actually in a state of nutritional ketosis. Because once that blood ketone level gets elevated, that's giving your brain an alternative form of energy. And that's where you really start to, the lights kind of come on and you start to feel a lot of the benefits of the ketogenic diet. And for me, I went through a learning, sort of a learning curve to this. And it probably wasn't until the third month where I was like feeling myself <laughs> totally. Because uh, I started with a, the Johns Hopkins protocol of like more of a dairy-based ketogenic diet. And then I started transitioning off of that and was just doing more like whole foods and less dairy. And I just had to find the, not only the macronutrient ratios, but the types of foods that were working best for me. And also it was kind of hard to get the calories. My metabolism uh, it's pretty fast, so it was kind of hard for me to get all the calories that I needed. And that that initial calorie deficit caused me to lose weight over time, especially the first, I think I lost about 10 pounds the first, uh, without trying. I was actually trying not to lose weight, but it was almost impossible not to lose weight. So that side effect may be a benefit to a lot of people. They like the idea that they can eat and feel fully satiated and still continue to lose weight. I don't know of any other eating, any other diet that can really allow you to do that unless you're doing like a raw, like vegan diet. And that's like really hard to do. <laughs> uh, but a ketogenic diet, I think, has greater weight loss benefits than a raw vegan diet. And it, it's actually more practical uh, from my perspective. That brings up another point that I'm just really personally interested in right now. Uh, we obviously we know the keto diet assists in weight loss. That's one of the reasons it's often used. And certainly there are many success stories from people online who have used it to lose a significant amount of weight. Uh, I've also lost a significant amount of weight within the past year, not only through just being low carb, I've used a variety of methods and actually eat more food and probably more carbs than I ever ha have. But from your experience and your research, do you have any tips on how to gain or maintain muscle while still either losing fat or maintaining fat loss? Because I feel like this is a balance that a lot of people have trouble kind of finding the sweet spot for. Yeah. So you're, hit on, well, you're hitting on all the great questions. <laughs> so that's a topic of debate, especially on social media, uh, in the fitness forums. Like, can you gain muscle on a ketogenic diet? There's, I, 
Absolutely. I mean, we published a paper with our Italian colleagues back in 2012, I believe, and it was elite level gymnasts that use a ketogenic diet and they were able to maintain their strength and they had more remarkable body composition alterations over time. So basically, you know, at the end of the study, they could, they preserved their muscle and they lost more body fat. They did not gain any more muscle than the gymnasts that were following their standard dietary protocol. But so they had a very intense training routine and the amount of muscle uh, that they gained was the same. Actually, they just maintained. So being able to maintain your muscle while you're losing body weight and losing fat, like that's actually a gain, right? <laughs> so because, you know, if you lose weight, but still have the same amount of lean body mass, that, that's actually pretty significant. So we established that early on. And what we've learned over the years is that protein is actually really important. So the standard ketogenic diet requires, you know, a level of protein that's restricted. And in athletes, that's probably not the best thing to do. So the data, as I understand it right now, from all the data that's available, suggests that a from a clinical ketogenic diet perspective, they tell you to have one gram uh, per kilogram of body weight, and you don't need more than that. But for an athlete, you definitely need more than that, not only to maintain weight, but if your goal is to gain muscle and strength, I would say uh, 1.5 grams per kilogram at least, especially if you have a fast metabolism. So I'm kind of heavy. I'm, I'm 100 kilograms. So for me, that's 150 grams of protein per day. And if someone, a clinical practitioner of the ketogenic diet, was to look at my diet and see me getting 150 grams of protein a day, well, they would say, no, you're not, you're nowhere near a ketogenic diet. But I, I, I am doing ketogenic diet because my ketones would be elevated. So I think if someone's a bit heavier and has more muscle and lean body mass, they can get away with more protein and they're actually going to need more protein to be able to retain that muscle and their need to, to increase their protein higher than what would be a normal ketogenic diet to gain muscle over time. So protein is very, very important, obviously, uh, for gaining muscle and the amount of protein you need. You know, if your goal is strength and performance, if you're an athlete, the amount of protein you need would probably be into that 30% of your diet range as opposed to a clinical ketogenic diet, which is like 10 to 15%. Like you literally need about double the amount of protein. And this gets into, you know, what what is a hot topic now, even in clinical medicine, is the modified ketogenic diet. And that was actually advanced by uh, Dr. Eric Kossoff at Johns Hopkins. And the modified ketogenic diet, uh, also called the modified Atkins diet, but the modified ketogenic diet is actually used for adults with epilepsy. And that's like double the amount of protein than the diet that's uh, used for kids. And that's, like I said, it's, it's much higher in protein, about 20 to 30% protein relative to the pediatric epilepsy diet, which is like 12 to 15% protein. 
Okay, that's good. I think that raises another question, which is, what about fasting? I mentioned this a little bit earlier in the episode. And again, and of course, I want to make sure we say the caveat that some women will not handle fasting well. You should, there's a very personalized aspect of this. And I know, especially with fasting, ideally people should work with a doctor who understands them and their medical history. Um, I feel like I handle fasting well. And like I said, I track everything really carefully, especially if I'm fasting. I'm on day three of a water fast right now. My ketones are about 3.5, but I also did some pretty high intensity exercise. I pole vaulted this morning, but I'm curious. I know that you intermittent fast regularly and you've also done longer fast. So what is your take on fasting both for overall health and also for things like cancer prevention and other applications that we are seeing in the research? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of fasting for many years when I was really into weightlifting and strength training, I was eating like six meals a day and I would get anxiety if I went more than like three or four hours without a, without a meal, right? So thinking that my body needs energy for growth and repair and that I would be taking a step backwards if I didn't have that, that meal. But over the years, I've learned that once your body is adapted to burning fat and ketones for fuel, that the ketones are very protein sparing, and that has resulted in the whole area of science that we're really focused on now with cancer cachexia, so muscle sparing effects of ketones. My PhD student that just graduated did a whole PhD dissertation studying the anti-catabolic effects of ketones. So what that means is that, you know, if, if you are following a low-carb diet or doing ketogenic diet and you do periodically fast and whether you do intermittent fasting or short-term fast or even long-term fast like a week or more your body is more metabolically tuned to spare that muscle protein and and i think there's you know clinical evidence to to support this and and also and well we have some some work to be published uh once you fast and once you do it a few times you can actually enter the state of ketosis faster so if you if you do fasting or you do the ketogenic diet and get off of the ketogenic diet do like a standard diet and go back to fasting or go back to a ketogenic diet again, your body will make ketones much faster. It's almost like, uh, you know, when you work out, you have muscle memory and you work up to like a certain level of bench press, you take time off. It may take you two or three years to get up to, you know, 200 pound bench press. But if you take a couple of months off, you're going to lose a lot of that strength. But if you start back up again, Instead of two years, you can get back up to that level in like two months. Your metabolism is the same way. If you train your metabolism to burn fat and make ketones and burn ketones, and you do it over time, the more you do it, the easier it gets and the more benefits you derive from it. But also the faster your body jumps back into that fat burning mode when you start fasting again or when you do a ketogenic diet. So that has pretty, pretty important practical implications. Right. So uh, I'm a fan of fasting. In the beginning, I was not. I had to be sold on it. <laughs> and it was actually the scientific literature reading paper after paper of the benefits, periodic calorie restriction, intermittent fasting and ketones, which got me thinking as an academic scientist, you know, I'm doing this in the lab and I'm seeing the benefits. We saw very real benefits in the lab, even survival from things like metastatic cancer that I had to do this myself and I had to experience it myself. And I'm kind of a self-experimenter. 
So over the years, I've done up to a seven day fast, you know, and periodically I do do, uh, I do, I like to do it when I'm traveling and my wife and I travel together most of the time, but if I'm traveling alone and I know she's, you know, she's not with me and, and having to eat because she doesn't really do a lot of the crazy things I do. If I'm traveling alone, I like to just fast, you know, occasionally uh, when traveling that can be kind of convenient. So I personally do it. I've experienced benefits from it that I've documented and I've been in touch with many other people who do this. And I, I think it really does have real benefits. I think some people take a little too far, but if you were to do a short-term fast for a couple of days, you know, every few months, I think that'll really translate to real-world benefits. As we get close to the end, I'd actually love to do a round two with you one day. I know that you are very much in the research on a lot of these topics, and a lot of people listening are women. Um, but I'd love to talk about some practical takeaways that we can all learn from your research. And so, those of us who are moms, parents, maybe those of us who are not lifting heavy weights or existing hundreds of feet below the ocean, what are some things that you're seeing in the data right now that we can all learn from and adopt and benefit from doing? Yeah. Um... Well, for, for women specifically, I, I think it's really important for women when they start a ketogenic diet or they do intermittent fasting, a lot of times the scenario presents that a woman will start a new exercise routine. So they'll bump up their exercise, they will calorie restrict, and they'll start the ketogenic diet all at one time. And so you have a lot of variables uh, contributing to things that could potentially slow down your metabolism and decrease your thyroid level. So if you are experimenting with a ketogenic diet, I would say keep all variables sort of the same and do not restrict your calories. So just adjust the macronutrient ratios to ratios that would be ketogenic and keep your training the same and see how it affects your body and let your body adapt to that because there's gonna be some initial stress you know, associated with that adaptation. And once your body adapts to that, then start, you know, adjusting your calories or ramping up your training and things like that. So I think that's really an important practical takeaway because it seems like so many women who start a ketogenic diet uh, or start intermittent fasting also start, you know, they do it for contest preparation or they do it for a sport or just to lose weight for a particular event. They like shotgun a lot of things at once. So they do ketogenic intermittent fasting, calorie restriction, and over-exercising. And simply just over-exercising can sort of drop your metabolism, you know, if, you, if you, you're overtrained. So I think it's important to kind of ease into this, uh, more important for women than for men. Uh, so kind of say that off the bat. And also the exogenous ketones that are on the market right now really can help people transition into that and help people get through the, that initial keto flu that some people call call it or that transition from a carbohydrate-based metabolism to a ketone-based metabolism. For intermittent fasting, for example, they may want to break the fast, not with a big protein meal, but maybe with a ketone supplement and they can extend the benefits of the, the fast. Uh, I believe because your glucose level would still stay low and your ketones would be elevated. And then maybe, you know, two or three hours later, have a balanced meal, like, or a ketogenic meal. You know, for example, they might want to do that. And that has made transitioning into these things a little bit 
easier for them. And there's so many resources that are available too online, whether it be recipe books, even snacks. So I, I do have the opportunity to test a lot of foods that are emerging on the market. Some of them are not on the market yet, but I could tell you there are a lot of, you know, ketogenic chocolates that are coming out, ketogenic brownies, ketogenic cookies, and some of them are ketogenic and some of them are not. But the good thing is that there are legitimate forms of chocolate bars and brownies and cookies and things that are entering the market. I'm a big fan of just whole food nutrition, but some of these snacks are really, these comfort foods are important to have time to time because otherwise a lot of people <laughs> may feel deprived. And I know it, it certainly helps for kids because some kids that follow diet kind of feel ostracized if they're not able to eat certain foods. So that has made the transition uh, for kids who need to follow it for a medical uh, reason. It has made it, you know, much easier for them. So there's a lot of practical things that have that we've sort of garnered over the years, uh, knowledge that we've garnered, and also companies are developing technologies that are making the diet easier to implement and also easier to monitor. For example, Readout Health has a device that's a breath acetone meter that I used all day today uh, to check my own ketone levels. So Biosense is the device, and instead of having to prick your finger and draw blood, you just simply blow into this device, and it tells you your breath ketone levels. And I could blow into it hundreds of times and not have to go buy strips. You know, you just buy the device, and uh, it's super easy to use. You can download the app, and it tells you, it tracks all your, your ketone levels, and breath acetone is a very good marker of fat oxidation. So the higher that breath ketone level, you know you're really cranking out, you're really burning lots of fat if that level gets higher. So uh, for people, you know, the everyday person, and I know many people are looking at, you know, this approach to, to burn fat, you know, some, something like the breath acetone meter by Biosense, you know, without having to stick your finger and taper all the strips, would be a very useful practical advice uh, or device for people. Got it. And I'm also curious, what are you excited for in the future of this area of research? Are there trends that you're seeing right now that you think are up and coming that we should be excited about or that we're just starting to see activity on? Yeah, there, there, there's a lot of activity in this area. And it's, it's kind of surreal to see because when I started studying this, it was pediatric epilepsy was the only application. And it was very marginalized even at the American Epilepsy Conference. Uh, but now there's just so much buzz all over. And uh, the things that I think are going to be most important in the future are like big health issues. Like obesity, we know, is kind of a big problem. But type 2 diabetes is like a huge problem, especially in the over 50 crowd. And it's a huge healthcare burden. So Verda Health, is doing a lot of work and the Verda Health website really documents all the studies that they've published. And, you know, a lot of people, when they hear that a diet, a ketogenic diet can treat type 2 diabetes, of course, they become skeptical that you can get patients off insulin or their medication, but they do. And, you know, they've proven this. And, uh, and that's, been, that's been really interesting to see that science evolve. You know, and we're in a completely opposite direction. <laughs> we're working 
with the military and our company, Ketone Technologies, we sponsor research working with NASA uh, on various projects. And at this point now, it's really understanding extreme environments and ultimately, you know, trying to formulate metabolic-based strategies, including nutritional strategies that can optimize the performance and safety of the warfighter, but also the astronaut. So my wife and I had the opportunity to participate in the NASA Extreme Environment Mission Operations, where we get to, we're on a crew with astronauts and we're underneath the Atlantic and we actually do research uh, for a week or more underneath the water. We're living in a hyperbaric environment. And I had the opportunity to do the ketogenic diet for 10 days submerged in the water. And it was, you know, we're still analyzing the data from that a couple of years later. <laughs> And we're preparing for more uh, space analog missions, you know, with NASA this year. So that's a big part of what we're doing now. And a lot of time, effort and money and resources are being kind of channeled into, you know, understanding these extreme environments and developing what we think could be a ketogenic strategy for optimizing, you know, performance in these environments. Definitely. I follow your research closely, like I said, and I think it's amazing just to see everything that's coming up right now. I'll definitely keep watching in the future, but like I said, I would love to do a round two with you one day if you are willing, and I'm just so grateful for your time today and for sharing your research and expertise. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on, Katie. Appreciate it. And as always, thanks to all of you for listening and sharing one of your most valuable assets, your time with both of us today. We're so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again for the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.